0: chapter 140, Psalm chapter 140. Uh, I believe that among, I've say, I say this often, or something like this often, among the passages of the Bible, I believe that God's gift to humanity of the Psalms is uh, paramount. I think second to the salvation information, the Psalms tell us how to live. Uh, they tell us what to do with these bundle of emotions and problems and things that we deal with. And uh, so I'm thankful to get back to these. Some of you were the same way. You're like, Pastor, when can we finish this, those lessons we had? And they took a lot longer than I thought. Uh, but this is my heart. I love the Psalms, and I love what God does every week to my heart as I pray and prepare uh, to preach to you. And it's an honor to preach to you, and uh, uh, that's the greatest thing I pray for every week, to make sure we get it right, uh, what God has planned. Deliver me, O Lord, at the beginning of this, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man. Which imagine mischiefs in their heart. Continually are they gathered together for war. Verse 3 is our text. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hand hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man. Who have purposed to overthrow my goings. The proud have they hid a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set gins for me, or traps. It means traps. Selah. I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplication, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. Thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked... Further not his his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves, Selah. As for the head of those that compass me about, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Let not an evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use this message in the way that you see fit. I pray that, uh, Lord, you would touch our hearts. And, uh, Lord, bring your blessings, continued blessings, upon this little body of believers that you have called out from among the people of this area. And uh, Lord, protect us from these kinds of people, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now the title of this psalm, and I've said this many times also, that if you look right above the wording of the psalm, right below where it says Psalm 140, uh, your Bible, if you have a study Bible, might have some extra notations there, but often there is a notation that's an introduction, For and there's one here, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. And that's actually part of the Hebrew text and is inspired of God. So this, as we can see, is a psalm uh, that was ascribed to David. And uh, really, there's no reason that we cannot let it be from David. Certainly, there are plenty of times in David's life that occasion uh, this kind of prayer or cry to God. Uh, perhaps at the later, it was picked up by Hezekiah as he was being surrounded, and, and uh, the words of Rabshakeh, the the leader, the representative of uh, Sennacherib's army, seeking by his tongue to subvert the uh, Jerusalem people or the garrison. And so there they were. Maybe they got to that point and Hezekiah was reading and said, hey, this Psalm of David applies to us as well. And I believe there's something there that you and I should look at every psalm and say, how, how does this apply to my life? And I've tried to do that every week. Spurgeon called this, song, this psalm the cry of a hunted soul. The cry of a hunted soul. He says the following. Let me read a quotation. He says, "...the supplication of a believer incessantly persecuted and beset by cunning enemies, who hungered for his destruction. David was hunted like a partridge upon the mountains." and seldom seldom obtained a moment's rest. This psalm, speaking of the psalm, is his pathetic appeal to Jehovah for protection, an appeal which gradually intensifies through the psalm denunciation of his bitter foes, into a denunciation of his bitter foes. So he begins to call out God. It's like the song, because these were sung, remember? It starts out this way, but then it's a cry to God, Lord, I'm I'm being attacked. And the the nature of the attack had uh, strictly to do uh, with the the, the words that were given against David. And he says so in our text in verse number 3. He goes on to talk about them and their words uh, a little bit later in verse number 9. Where he says their own lips uh, let the mischief cover them. And then he says a little bit later, he talks about in verse 11, let not an evil speaker so this is, the, this is the kind of challenge that we face in this world, that people say things that they ought not to say, how do you deal with it? And, uh, and the words that they're using against you are there to do damage to you. Um, people know this, that have been through, uh, for instance, a divorce. You've been through a divorce. A number of our people have had to go through that awful experience and uh, for one reason or for one cause or another, but you know that that is a betrayal of trust. It's a betrayal of your own heart and the love that you said and promised at that marriage altar, and then all of a sudden they're using words to be cutting and hateful. One author said, and I believe this, evil actions and evil speakings are always close by each other. In other words, where men are bound to speak evil, they are doing evil. And where men are doing evil, they're always accompanying that with some form of evil speaking. The words of our mouth do a lot of damage. They do a lot of damage. The Lord says he will judge every idle word in Matthew chapter 12, I think verse 36. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. And being idle, he's talking about vain or empty or useless. And so if he's going to judge our useless, wasted words, then certainly God is going to judge and hold us accountable, all mankind, for the things that they say. I believe that the words of our mouth uh, are much more important to God than we think they are. And certainly we've all been hurt by the words of others. The content of the verse 3 will be our, con- be our text for tonight. And the recognition of a sharp tongue that is attacking the man of God. Notice at the end of verse number three, the word Selah, indicating that there's a pause in the music, a time to, maybe at the end of the first stanza, I didn't go through to find out where the strokes were in this particular psalm, but maybe it's the end of the first stanza, it usually would be like that, and he's saying, hey music, take a pause, so we can contemplate the effects of the words we have just sung speaking about these people that are after us. The evil tongue is described, as you know, in James chapter 3, and I would recommend a reading of the book of James. I'm going to preach Sunday morning out of chapter 1. But chapter 3 talks about the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It defileth the whole body. Setteth on fire, it says, the course of nature, and is set on fire of Hell. He doesn't say that about your eyes, your hands, your feet, your ears. He says that about your mouth. God is interested in what you say and the words that you say, we can say six and stones break our bones, but names will never hurt me, right? That we teach our children and it's good to teach them that because what it's saying is, hey, don't let all the things that people say really bother you. But you and I as adults, we all know that going through life Things that people say bother us. It's a problem that we face. It's a problem that we face in this world. And the Lord is interested. He said it's set on fire of hell. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. And if we tremble at the word of God, we believe what it says, that our words can actually come from a source that is beyond us, as if it brings the worst of our nature out and comes spewing out. At times. And the same tongue can be, as a passage in James 3 says, can be used to bless and it can be used to curse. And you know what the passage says? He says, my brethren, in James 3, these things ought not so to be. There's a verse right after that. Out of the same, as a fountain comes fresh water and bitter, he says the same bless and curse. You use your mouth to bless and you use your mouth to curse. He says, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. And I think to the typical Christian, we have an idea that, well, that's out of, that's out of reach, pastor. I, I couldn't really bring my tongue under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And I agree with you but I believe in God that can bring our tongue under the control of His Holy Spirit. That there is a God in heaven who ought to have my heart and my mind, and by the way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, that we have a clean heart and a holy heart and a heart that's subjected to the Spirit of God, then our words ought to be changed. It ought to be seen. It's also some of the things that we put into our minds. They are the cause of things that we say that shouldn't be said. Our text here speaks of the tongue that curses mankind as well as God, and it really is the tongue of the persecutor. And I have dealt with recently people that have been manipulated by, I I might be getting ahead of myself, but... I just say, people people use their words to manipulate situations when they have certain kinds of parameters and control over others. I preach in the Bible. The Bible says that wives ought to submit to their husbands, but that doesn't give the husband the right to mistreat his wife verbally. I've seen that some people take from that message hey a husband should be the leader of the homes wives should submit and that means to that individual family that it's justifying their bad behavior we ought to be exemplifying the lord jesus christ where he says and be kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another we're getting ready for our 27th anniversary a couple of weeks Marriages require a lot of forgiveness. It's, it's part of a church. To have a church body, especially as I feel like a smaller church body, we have to have a lot of forgiveness one of another. I've heard of situations, and I dealt with one, where there was some uh, a backslidden Christian, a lady in the church who was single, you know she's a member of the church, and uh, you know she came to me crying, saying, "Pastor, I've sinned. I got into a relationship, and I went so far that now I'm going to have a baby. You have to vote me out of the church." Now I asked her. I said, "Well, are you repentant?" She said, and she cried. She said, "Pastor, I'm so sorry that I did this. Are you still seeing that guy?" No, we're not. We're not near each other anymore. Are you ever going to do this again? No. I said, well, I'm going to have to tell the workers of the church or the men and the adults of the church that there was a problem, but voting you out of the church is for unrepentant people. If you're willing to get right with God, the obvious effects of that kind of sin you can't hide, but the fact is that a church needs to forgive one another and help one another. I'm supposed that in the next twenty years we come across somewhere where we're going to have to tell the church there's an unfortunate situation where we have to vote somebody out of the church because they're unrepentant, but not because they are. But don't ever take what I preach as a license to abuse emotionally, and words are the source of that, and to abuse your children and abuse your your spouse, your It is not because you're the head of the home. It doesn't give you the right. You legally have the right to be an ogre in your home. But that doesn't mean God's pleased with your home. If the kindness cannot start at home, where is it going to begin? And then there's people that have been buried under the onslaught of this kind of talk. And uh, like the persecutor that comes around and tries to, through sarcasm and through sharp tongues, hurt people and they lash out at people and they do it over and over and over again until there's a feeling because there's somewhat of an authority issue, there's a feeling that you the, the, the victim is cowering under the uh, persecution that they endure. Friend, listen, God never intended for that to happen. I mean, even if you're given to a sharp tongue, God says, hey, I want you to give victory over that. If you're given to anger, God wants you to have victory over that. If the seeds of these things... Brought to God, it means that the husband and the wife can bring both of their lives under the leadership of the Spirit of God so that you can literally have a great life together to be happy. To live under that abuse is not God's plan. God wants a resolution to it. So look at this. Let's look at verse number three. It starts here with the sharp tongue. We'll talk for a moment about the sharp tongue. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Some things need to be sharp to function well. You ever have a dull pocket knife? Isn't that? I'd rather not carry a pocket knife than have a dull pocket knife. Some things have to be sharp. Uh, uh, you know, maybe you guys are shaving every day and your razor gets dull. Man, I got thin hair on the top of my head, but I guarantee my chin hairs are made of bristly steel. I wear a razor out every... I have to change my razor like almost a week, but it's, I push it to like 10 days. But by the time I get after 10 days, I'm using the thing. I'm going up and down, up and down, up and down. It won't do anything. I've ruined it. Some things you just have to be sharp in order for them to be useful. But that's not what this is talking about. A sharp tongue says things it should not say in a way that tends to hurt people, as persecutors do. Many people have sharp tongues. Such tongues have really no manners, but they can cut so very deeply. I've seen wounds created in the hearts of people through sarcasm and cutting remarks that I have yet to see healed. And in the context of this, it's not saying, hey, this is sharp like a razor. I mean, when a, when a person is not this way, when they're not sarcastic, friend, look what happens. They don't call it a dull tongue right? This is talking about a cutting tongue. Somebody who knows how to wield their tongue in such a way to just get at people. A lot of times they'll use the public to do it. They'll wait till you know one-on-one. I've been with people that when you're one-on-one with them, they're just normal. And then they get around a pocket full of people and then they bring up these remarks to go after you like, I was just with you. Why didn't you tell me you had a problem? because they use the crowd to intimidate. Maybe you've never been through something like that, but I'll tell you something, parents. Listen to me closely. If you are sarcastic and make fun of your children, you're creating a distance between you and them. If they're always put down, and I don't know anybody here that is doing that. I'm not accusing. I'm not saying this is a problem, but I'm saying as you observe this in your life, If you make fun of people and you make fun of your children when they have real needs, are they going to come to you? No way. I mean, they might run to their, they're going to probably run to their friends for advice. They'll probably run to people who ought not to be advising your children simply because you haven't demonstrated. And people think, well, I don't want to create a sissy out of my son. I don't want a sissy out of my daughters where they can't stand up to the, what, say it, abuse of the world. So they should get it from their parents? There ought to be a security and trust that comes where a parent never does that to their children. And as a result, there's such a safety so that the children can come to their mom and dad at any time and say, Dad, Mom, I've got a question about this area of my life, this sensitivity or that sensitivity or I don't know how to get along with this. Help me in this because you are their greatest trust. They know they can trust you. I'm not talking about babying your kids. I'm not talking about coddling them, but I am talking about what you do with your tongue. If you make fun of your children, you're hurting your own future with your children. I've said this and I've watched this happen. And I've, I've observed it. I've seen it when kids get to a certain point and then they get into trouble. They start to go wayward and they get into trouble and they'd like to go back and say, mom and dad, I'd like to have their help. I've heard their testimonies afterwards. I wanted to tell my dad about it, but I thought he'd make fun of me. And you've created that situation. I'm not talking about not teasing in the home. We have a little bit of fun with our kids, but there's a line you have to cross that they know, and you know that they trust you. They trust you. And sarcasm doesn't do that. Making fun of people through sarcasm may seem like it brings a lot of outward smiles and a good laugh because we all like a funny retort. We all look at it and it sort of brings a chuckle to our hearts when we think of somebody getting somebody else in a good way. Friends, that's not the way we should live. It's not even in the Bible for us. And uh, people have to defend themselves against this kind of thing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. That doesn't sound like sarcasm, does it? And in honor, preferring one another. That's our verse for the summer. I've been teaching the kids on Tuesdays about how to have manners. In honor, prefer. Manners, that's how you define them. In honor, preferring one another. Not me, 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 so it doesn't matter how I treat people, but preferring the other person in front of me. Now, there's no special gift for being able to put others down with your words, especially with your children. And may God cleanse the mouth of those who do this. Okay, so this message has two different sides because some people have given a testimony to me that they've had to endure this kind of abuse i'm using that word pretty freely tonight probably the world calls things abuse that we would not call abusive but i think when you use your words to to really cut at people that isn't brotherly love if you want to find a softer word than abuse, but I've known people that have spent their lives cowering under that kind of intended or uh, expected attack so that they spend their life. Some wives are this way. If The husband's this way. Listen, husbands, you're, you're, you're really doing wrong if you make fun of your wife. You know, like I, I knew a guy that said, you know, you shouldn't make fun of all your wife's decisions because you are one of them right? She married you. That was her decision. And if you make fun of all of her decisions, maybe you're making fun of yourself. But it's more serious than that. It's that trust issue that among everything, that it should never be that you ostracize your wife and make a joke about her. And I've seen it. I've seen it many times. To defend yourself against these kind of people, get away from them. I don't know anything else. You say, what if we're married? Well, then come and see me and we'll pray together and we'll try to do some counseling to effect a change. Because it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And it's very common among, the, among men in our country, apparently, where they treat their wives. And then, and then in, the, in, the, in the house of God, it's their interpretation that that's what the pastor means when he says, husbands, lead your homes, and wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. That is supposed to mean that the, that the husband has a free pass to mistreat the wife with his words. Hey, You're going to be judged by the, for those words. You're causing hurt. You're breaking a trust that ought to never be broken. Amen. It's a pride that causes them to be that way, and their words will never be stopped like that. I don't know. Habits are easy to make, but I believe that sinful habits are. There's hardly a line between a sinful habit and an addiction to that sin. So the the way sin is is, is it, it you know it gives you a benefit. Every if sin did not have a as as Hebrews says a pleasure for a season, we wouldn't sin, right? And even your words, when you are—if you're a sharp-tongued person—you do that, and you think it's your pride. It's like, man, I got them. Well, congratulations, you're an idiot. Really, I don't mean to be rude to you. I'm not trying to cut at you. I'm trying to say you are hurting yourself. You are—you are being wrong toward exactly the commands of God. God wants you to love that person. And Christians, it has to start in our homes. And, and, and sin is not like, the devil doesn't say, hey, come and sin and enjoy the benefits of sin without requiring anything. The Bible says in Romans 6, I think about verse 17, to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, so, that the minute you give yourself into, let's say, a simple sin, this is simple to people. You have a lying tongue, then you give into a lying tongue, you give into it, you give into it, you've made a habit, but it's not that you get the benefit that comes from lying, whatever that benefit is. But more than that, you're being under the control of that sin. Sin takes control of your heart. Every time you do, he said, well, I got away with that. I said, no, you did not get away with the sin. You gave your part of your heart to the, uh, to the awful side of the temptation and the sin itself will re- reap results that will not be good for your life. Christians, sin is not pleasant and it's not going to... So the habit of becoming very good and sharp-tongued is an addiction and it feeds the pride in the heart of a person and they go around saying, well, I'm the leader of my home. Yeah, so you, and here's another word of the world. So you literally have, they abuse this word, but you have literally bullied your wife into a a cowering state. It's no good. It's no good. God wants you to treat people like He described in Romans chapter twelve, verse ten: "Be kindly affectioned one to another, with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another." He said, "What if we get into a problem? There's times to deal with that, but our words had better be more careful during a problem than they were during fun. During a problem, now we get we get our anger." going and, hey, and anger takes your words and it just makes it vicious. And all of us, right, have said things in anger that we wish we could go back and take and hide. I don't know how many in my life, and I'll say this on Sunday too because of the sermon I'm preaching, I've had to call people that I have remembered in my mind, the Lord, the Holy Spirit will bring up in my mind, people that I have wronged with my words. Christians, the Lord is saying, hey, there's a problem when there's a sharp tongue. And you're either going to be the one that speaks or the one that endures the speaking. And in this case, David's saying, Lord, I'm being attacked by those that use this kind of language against me. God, can you help me? Can you stop the evil speaking? Can you bring their own sin upon their lips? Very serious things, a sharp tongue. Secondly, let's call it a serpent's tongue. Look again where it says in that verse, they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Like a serpent. Serpents are forever flashing their tongues out of their mouth, aren't they? And actually, you know, they hear with their tongue. I don't know if you knew that. But the psalmist is not using that comparison. In his persecution, he reports that the persecutor's tongue is like a serpent in his persecution, he's not talking about having the tongue out so much like a little snake. He's saying they're like the snake, the serpent, the devil. So, really, a, a serpent's tongue is a satanic tongue, it's not of the things of God. Persecutors are compared to snakes, and I think it's a good comparison. People are mistreated by these kind of people with evil words, and then they turn the words to make the victim feel like the ones who are going wrong. I I heard a situation recently where there was an abuse in a church where there was somebody's daughter who was violated by another teenager in the church. And they took the, the mother there in that situation, started to say, hey, I want to talk about this issue. My daughter's been violated by such and such a person in the church. Hey, I need help. I need help. And they said, you're, you're stirring up gossip. You're lying. So they take the victim, and they make the victim feel like they're the perpetrator. Now, isn't that convenient? And this is happening Constantly. That is, you'd call that the uh, modus operandi of people that are very defiling. They're in sin, and then they take their sin, and they take the excuse of their sin, and they turn it on the other people that they're accused by, and they're saying, no, it's you. It's not me. It's you. What an evil type of thinking. Where does that come from? I don't suppose that I don't know what a person goes through when they start treating people this way. But when a person has a problem, they don't own up to their problem. And instead, they look at everything that's their problem, and they blame somebody else for their problems. That has to be from the devil. I can't imagine that. that in other words, that's almost incoherent, isn't it? And the reason that I think it's incoherent is, don't you want to be a good Christian? Say yes or amen, right? And, and all of us would, you think everybody wants to be a good Christian. What's going to make me a better Christian? By getting sin out of my life. Somebody brings up an accusation or brings up something, the first thing a Christian should do is say, Lord, are there, is there truth to their statement? But then in our world, if you have a real problem to deal with, there's real sin, then a lot of times that sinner the reason he's brazen, he or she is brazen in their sin, is because they know they're going to flip it right over, cast it back at the person who gave it to them. Accusing them of sowing discord or having a problem like that. I've seen it, I've dealt with it, and I'd say that's a serpent's tongue. That, is, that has to come from the devil. It's incoherent, and it's just harmful. It's harmful, no doubt, to the person who's being falsely accused, and it's also very difficult and harmful to the person who lives like that. There is no progress for that person. They've shut the door to the presence of God. They've said, I don't want my prayers to be answered. I want to live in sin and leave me alone. And sadly enough, a lot of, some of them are in a Christianity are so bold that they are still preachers that do that, and they're still preaching. Stuff like that. It goes on all the time. Now, you and I have to endure the satanic tongue. It's out there. How do you deal with this? Well, first of all, I think what the Bible says is consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. I'm talking about Jesus. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. In other words, if you find yourself in that kind of circumstance, what you have to do is put your eyes off of your circumstances and put them upon the Lord. You've got to stop listening as best you can to the things that people are saying falsely and trust God. Jesus endured that. He said the answer to enduring that is to keep your eyes on Him. And I'm not talking about enduring that. If, if a marriage is like this, if there's a marriage here, I don't know of any, but if there's a marriage here, that I, and, I, and it could happen and I don't even know about it because people come to church and they put on their best suit, so I imagine you put on your best face. But if there's a marriage, if you are here and you say, there's a, a husband who is just into problems and always turning it on the wife and the wife lives, as I said earlier, with a sharp tongue and cowering under those things, as an example... It could be the other way around. It's more common this way. But if that is, that's a dysfunctional marriage. That is not a marriage that God is honoring, and it needs to be fixed. And, friends, that's one of the reasons you have a pastor. So, what should I do? Please come see me. We'll make an appointment. We'll sit down, and, and, and the four of us, including my wife, will talk. And we will try to find a biblical change that's necessary on both sides. But there needs to be a surrender to the Holy Spirit of a husband, if he's the one that's doing it, and a wife who goes through a time of healing. Because you don't understand the abuse and the nature of that kind of work. Thirdly, we have talked about two tongues. Let's see what's next. We could say that we have... um, The sharp tongue and the serpent's tongue, they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Now look nextly, adder's poison is under their lips. So let's call the next one a sick tongue. Adder's poison is under their lips. You'd expect a snake to have venom, and they do. And uh, we observe that it's a sickening, and I think the picture here is, is a sickening with sin. It's an entrance of sin into a home. It's, it really is. So you, you think, well, you know, I've got, I go to church. I've got certain things that I've conquered in my life. But you got this floodgate open through the words that you use mistreating each other within your own home. And friend, it's bringing the sickness of sin right into your home. Now, my desire for everybody here is to find God's will for your life. And if you're in a family, which, you know, I'm not talking about singles, but I'm talking about a husband and wife relationship and then children in that home having to live with the results. Listen, there's nothing more disheartening and scary to a child than to listen to the parents yelling at each other. Debbie and I made a point, and my kids could tell you there have been a few times that our arguments spilled out that they could tell there was something happening. Happening. But Debbie and I, right from the beginning of our marriage, and certainly we don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a good marriage. We determined that our children, as best we could do it, would never know when we disagreed. We put it in the bedroom, put the kids someplace to say, because uh, I really believe that we ought to, husbands, be willing to listen to the grievances of our wives. Okay? You're really wrong if you just think, well, I'm not going to listen. I'm just going to do my own thing. You're, that's not manly. Manliness is being able to meet the needs of our family. My children have needs. My wife has needs. And I'm talking about the fact that it is almost impossible for a wife to live under an ogre, to live under the oppression of somebody who says, you got to do this. And, and it's like they, they can't even be kind when they give instructions. And behind closed doors, there's this fighting and this... I'm going to tell you something. There isn't anything that will tear the heart of your children up. You say, well, I've got them in line. But if they listen to you argue and fight, it scares them. You're hurting their hearts. What do I do with my anger? I'm preaching on it Sunday. I want to tell you how to deal with your anger. Sunday morning service. Don't miss Sunday morning service. How do you deal with that anger? How about in a church? Well, there's things that pastor does. Right, and so then we get this idea that the answer to that is to go to one another. Well, let's, let's tell this woman in the church why you don't like a standard in the church. So let's poison the church with disunity because you have a Disagreement. That's sowing discord. That's gossip. So if you don't, like, let's just say Sharon knows me really well. I think she agrees with me, so I can pick on her. Sharon gets mad at me because, why? Because, I don't know. Let's pick something out of it. Because I don't, I preach against rock and roll music. Now, I've known she doesn't like rock and roll music. That's why I'm picking on her. And instead of coming to me and saying, Pastor, with a good attitude, good spirit, can we sit down and show me from the Bible why rock and roll music is wrong? She instead goes to Rachel. Well, you know, pastor doesn't like rock and roll. (laughs) What has just happened? Here's another problem. Rachel will listen. I have a confidence that Rachel will only put up with so much and then she's going to do the right thing, which I'm about to tell you is the right thing. That's why I called these two out as an example. But there's two problems. One is gossip, and the other one is sowing discord in the church. Gossip. And the Bible says that our tongue does more wrong than you think. It is set on fire of hell. Now, we just said earlier today, we had 10 people profess the Lord Jesus Christ last week. Praise God. How many are excited about that? Say amen and you'll stop the blessings all by yourself because of a tongue that won't do right. We want more people to get saved. Amen! But you single-handedly, like Achan in the nation of Israel, will stop the blessings of God because you are angst against me with some kind of standard that we have. So what's the right thing to do? Well, well, If this were true, which it's not, Sharon should come to me and say, Pastor, with the right spirit, I'd like to talk to you. Can you show me from the Bible why you do this, why you believe this, why you preach this? Okay. With the right spirit? Sure. Great. But let's say Sharon doesn't do that and she talks to Rachel. Somewhere in the first few sentences, Rachel's going to realize like an alarm going off. I have a problem here. There's a complaint. There's a gossip. There should be a siren going off. And she should say, just a minute. Can you come with me and talk to Pastor about that? Or if the gossip were about Ms. Thompson, then she should say, can you come with me to talk to Ms. Thompson about this? Or if the gossip's about Mrs. Simmons, She'd say, can you stop for a moment? Let's go to Mrs. Simmons and talk about this. You know what? The reason that they have your ear is because they know they believe you're weak enough to listen. Did you hear me? They think you're a weak Christian, so a weak Christian who's gossiping will say, I'm going to tell another weak Christian. And you know what you are? You're guilty of having poison Spreading poison. And the Lord, I guarantee, thinks it's worse than we do. He says, set on fire of hell. In chapter 6 of Proverbs, it talks about six things. Yea, six things is God. Yea, seven are an abomination unto God. And the last one is he that sowed discord among the brethren. And I'm not talking about falsely accusing somebody of sowing discord, but when you spread complaints and they turn to gossip by going to the wrong person, you're hurting the church, you're spreading poison. We've all had to endure this, and by the way, we're all guilty of this. Don't look around and say you're not guilty of this, because we've all said things that we should not have said. Earlier, I talked about how there needs to be a lot of forgiveness. Forgiveness. And you shouldn't have to wring it out of somebody. You say, oh, I said something I shouldn't have said. I am sorry. No problem, because I have too. No problem. But the Lord says it's serious. The last one we're going to call from this very verse is a subtle tongue. Look where it says at the very end is under their lips. Persecutors with their tongues are also deceitful. They don't. Always, I don't even think they understand sometimes. It's like they don't even see that they're coloring the truth. It didn't exactly happen that way. That was your perspective after a lot of hurt has attacked that. You understand? Somebody does something and you're, you know, you're part of it and it really gets you upset. It hurts you. And that hurt re- reestablishes, kind of reconnects the facts. And you get it a little wrong. Not just that. Those that are our using their tongues in a, in a way that's a persecuting way, don't care about truth. They're deceitful. The poison that they spread is not on a sign, like a cardboard sign you'd wear, that says, hey, watch out, I'm a persecutor with my tongue. No, no, it's all subtle. They look like they got everything together. Boy, what spiritual people until you get to know what they're really like, what's spewing out of their hearts. It has to start in a home. The tongue can be so deceptive, and the persecutor's tongue is always deceptive. And they don't really want to know the truth. Okay? I have a belief that most people don't want the truth. By the way, it's why you like the Bible. It's why you like a church that preaches the truth. You come to church sometimes, and the pastor's like, stomping all over your feet. <laughs> like the girl in Belize, they used to say, Pastor, you masha on my toes. Right? All right? I mean, it's simple this way. You know why you, you say, Pastor, I keep coming back, but you're just, keep on. I said, well, in one sense, it's because you love Truth. And I think that most people in the world, they avoid churches like this because they would rather be told, everything is good, you're great, everything's going fine, you're going to be blessed no matter what you do and how you're living. And you won't find that in the Bible. It is literally the difference between having an Aaron as a leader or having a Moses as a leader. Moses said, thus saith the Lord, Aaron said, well, the people asked me and I gave in to them. I just put all of the gold in the fire and here came out a calf. I don't know what happened. I just moved my hands and oh poof, there's a calf. Because the people said. And a real leader doesn't do that. He mashes it down into powder and makes the people drink it. You read what happened there in Exodus. When Moses found out that Aaron had done that, he went to the people, he broke the... Golden, they he threw it, he he made it into ground it into powder, threw it in their drinking water, and made them drink it. Truth is, friends, I'm not here to be unlike likable. I'm not here to be unkind for sure. And I have never been as strong as the Bible is. Do you understand that? The Bible often is much stronger than I could ever be, because I'm just like you, I'm a human. But we go to the commands of God and we have to reevaluate our lives and say, hey, where am I heading? What am I doing? And the pastor's job is to say, hey, this is what God said. And God is very interested in our words, some subtle words. They might even come in and say, you know, pastor's had a hard time, you know, he's just having, I don't know if it's just me or somebody else, I'm using examples that are with me, I'm not trying to get at that, but You know, that person, he just doesn't understand you like I do. A little bit of flattery, and they got your ear. And you need to be bold enough for the Lord to say, can you give me a minute? I think I told you this once before, but it happened to me at a church where um, they had been to Belize on a trip, and this one guy that came to Belize, you know, I was back at their church, and I was preaching at a uh, missions conference, I think, And that man came to me and he started, yeah, I started talking to him. You know, he was at Belize, so I, you know, I had things to talk about. And then uh, after a while he said, well, you know, the pastor. And he started like, he doesn't understand me. He doesn't care for me. I said, hang on a second. Can you take a break for a moment? And he said, sure. I said, can you come with me? And we went over. I knocked on the pastor's office. Somebody was in there. I think they left and it was just the pastor sitting at his desk the man in his church, and me. And I said, hey, uh, Pastor so-and-so, I said, uh, this fellow here was just telling me some things and tried to tell me some things about you, and I think he should tell you what those things. Can you tell the pastor what you were about to... Can you finish your conversation? And if he'd had false teeth, he'd have swallowed them. Really, I mean, it have been over. He'd have been choking on teeth. Now, I'm just saying that that's the kind of boldness... Otherwise, we fall under this. Now, I don't know what I'll preach out of the next chapter, but it is interesting to me. Look at chapter 141, verse number 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Why does he say that? In the previous chapter, our, our chapter for tonight, he's talking about, Lord, help me because I'm being persecuted by people that have this characteristic. You know, they have, they have a sharp tongue or they have a serpent's tongue or they have a subtle tongue and a, and a, and a, and a poisonous tongue, right? And, they, and it's, I'm being persecuted. And in the very next chapter, he says, Lord, watch my lips because why? Because I can do the same thing. That's why Psalm 14, verse 14 is so important. 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. Be acceptable unto thee, O God, my strength and my redeemer. I messed up the words there. I got thinking about it. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. So God is interested in our words. And I am here to encourage you that have suffered under the persecution of people that have used words against you. Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Find that place where you say, God knows what happened in my heart. He knows what I've had to deal with. And keep your eyes on the one who endured the contradiction of sinners. By the way, contradiction means speaking against, literally. Diction is speaking and contra is against. Said the Lord endured the speaking against of sinners, false accusations, hateful speech, and great attacks. Keep your eyes on the Lord and ask God to keep a door, keep a lock on the door to our mouths. Let's have a time of invitation. If Sharon can play the hymn of invitation at her leisure, if you'll all stand with me. I have a fear that people will say, well, if I go down to the altar tonight, everybody's going to know I'm struggling with these kinds of sins. I have mentioned uh, probably beat the dead horse that all of us have done this at times. And if you want God's help to overcome our speaking or overcome the way people have mistreated you, the altar is open. Come and give that over to God in either sense. Let God have His way in your heart.